0: Oh, and welcome to the Open Labour Podcast. My name is James Gibson and I'm joined today by a new co-presenter Josie Parkhouse. Hi Josie, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, good thank you. How are you James?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Tired from walking in the peaks this uh, this afternoon, but glad to be here back on the podcast. It's been, oh, I don't know, three, four months, I think, since we last did our podcast. And of course, you we weren't a member of the team back then. So it's great to be back and also have a new member of the team join us today. Josie. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because it is your first podcast. and I think listeners will be interested to hear a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm on the executive of the um, Exeter City Council and I am oversee leisure and physical activity here in the city. And yeah, I'm a labour cooperative city
0: councillor. Amazing. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have somebody from Exeter. We were just saying before the podcast, it, it tends to be a little bit sort of northern and London centric when we do this podcast. We get people from London, people from the north of England, and we've never had anybody from the southwest before join well, the podcast. Never mind, <laughs> never mind a, a co host. It's, yeah. it's it really is great to have you here, and, and hopefully, you'll be able to offer a different perspective from um, things down in the southwest. So, thank you again. We've got a great guest today a very good friend of mine from leeds city council and a wonderful trade unionist and i'm really really excited to have my friend jules hesselwood join the podcast hi jules
2: hello james how are you
0: okay yes very well thanks for coming on jules this is great i don't think we've had actually another leeds councillor on before but we've had lots of people from Leeds so i sort of avoided that you know Jules because I just think it's you know <laughs> with, with me and Tom being from Leeds and then having a Leeds councillor on as well it's not a Leeds podcast but Tom's, <laughs> Tom's not here today so we can have another Leeds person on and that's okay. Good.
2: Yeah, right. so- I'm, a, I'm a Leeds city councillor and um, I also work for a trade union as well and and I have worked in the trade, trade union movement for the last 20 years so I'm, I am all things uh, in the labour movement definitely.
0: Well, that's why we're going to talk about the strikes today. And that is, of course, the theme of today's podcast. So I think just to kick things off, let's set the scene a little bit and talk about who is striking. We've seen more and more. Trade unions and and different sectors go on strike over the past year and a half. Really, I mean, you could say it's longer than that. But if we if we think where it's been in the in the public attention, it's been would you say a year and a half, Jules?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly um, since um, last summer, um, it's become a lot more prevalent. You know, it, it, we've had a lot more unions on strike. So who's on
0: strike at the moment? And let's try and tally it up amongst ourselves. Okay. Josie, you name some you name some sectors, and then we'll we'll see if we can fill in the gaps and see because there's so many sectors on strike at the moment it's almost a a general strike isn't it
1: okay so you've obviously got the nurses the rcn and then you've also got ambulance workers haven't you and then there's some i think there's some regional strikes as well and within the nhs did the gps talk about not a strike but limiting their working hours as well i'm sure jules will know some Education sector ones.
0: <laughs> well, we've got oh, the rail absolutely. workers, haven't we? The rail workers, you mentioned ambulance workers. I think civil servants, about 100,000 of them, are just about to strike uh, as well, aren't they, with yeah, the PCS? PCS, uh, they yeah.
2: have been out. And they were out all over Christmas. What, what they've done is taken various sections of, of PCS, of their union, out at different times. So we've had, like, the border guards out, that kind of thing. So PCS are kind of doing, you know, they're disrupting the whole system, civil service system, by taking different groups out at different times. And then we've got the NEU. Um, we had a national strike on the 1st of Feb. We've got some regional strikes. The the next one for Yorkshire and Humber is the 28th of Feb. And then we've got another two days of national strikes on the fifteenth and sixteenth of March, where there'll be a, a big rally in London, which people can join. Uh, the RCN have just announced a big strike, so from the first to the third of March, the RCN have announced a twenty four hour, uh, sorry, a forty eight hour round the clock strike. So they're taking uh, critical care nurses out as well, then, um, because obviously what they've done so far, the, the government are just ignoring. So they've got to find some way of of you know making the the government sit up and listen, really. So we you know the, the just no excuse for, for us not to get on the picket line there because it'll be there for 48 <laughs> hours, so we can all yeah. find time to get down there at some point. And then the RMT uh, and CWU, the posties are still on strike. Mm. They've just they've, they've not announced any more dates. They've just re-balloted and they've got something like a 95 mandate from their members yeah. to wow. go out, again, yeah. uh, which yeah. is amazing with the the thresholds that we've all got to meet. Um, mm. I can, I, want to talk about that, yeah. So, yeah, the you know, the, the CWU and, and, and RMT uh, have still got live ballots. They've just got to announce some more dates. So, yeah, there's a lot going on.
0: We've got the FBU as well. They're on strike, 73% turnout, over 33,000 firefighters, I think.
2: They've put their strike action on hold because they got back round the table at ACAS uh, with the right. employees and they've been offered 12% over two years uh, with the, the, new, the new deal. So they've still got a live mandate, but they've put it on hold, um, and the Executive Council of the FBU um, are recommending that members accept that. But, of course, that has to go back to the membership, so that's back with the membership at the moment. So depending on whether members accept or reject that will determine whether the Fire and Rescue Service go out as well. It's hard to mm-hmm. keep
1: up, isn't it? So many strike actions, <laughs> pretty much every every public sector role is affected by this
0: really much it just seems yeah.
1: really extensive
0: well it's not just public sector as well though is it the shelter employees i don't know if they've been on strike or they go in and the british museum staff and and i went on a picket i, I don't know if you came jules you might have done after um cwu went on strike and bt in leeds as well didn't they yes um, we were yes we event. were all on that one yes
2: definitely yeah that was like back in september or something october yeah that's it <laughs> we, yeah. i think there's that many strikes we're forgetting about some <laughs> of things that have actually gone on in the last you know know sort of eight months or so because there's been so many of them it's like you say it's difficult to keep
0: up. Totally is well look I I think we made the point lots of people are on strike and I think it's worthwhile talking about why people are on strike and we could talk about broad stroke reasons why they're on strike but let's break it down a little bit and talk about public sector so what do you think about why public sector workers are on strike and Jules as well?
1: Well I think everyone's been hit by this cost of living crisis and everyone's feeling the strain. And I think especially public sector, we've just come through a pandemic where we've stood on our doorsteps and applauded the NHS and applauded the teachers for sticking in schools and going online so quickly and adapting. And But then the cost of living has just hurt those people so much. And the government's just not Prepared to really recognize them in that way. And I think with public sector, it it seems like the government's just not really prepared to even negotiate and not even listen to a lot of these union officials and like not even sit down and hear what they've got to say and hear their side of it. They're just kind of got their fingers in their ears, their heads in the sand, and more and more people are obviously joining this wave of strikes and it just seems like a massive mm. movement. I mean,
2: we've, we've still got inflation in excess of 10% and a lot of the deals that have being offered, you know, with these talks with government are, are just offering 5% or, or less in some cases. I think the RMT was like 4%. So if, if unions, if union members accept these deals, then they're accepting a pay reduction, you know, because we've got inflation running over 10% for a long time now. And even if you have a five percent rise, you're still your your outgoings are still going up and up and up. And I think that people have just uh, had enough of, of how this government uh, are acting. I mean, one thing that I absolutely agree that the government are just bearing the head in the sands and thinking it'll all go away. Obviously, the R C N have now decided to up their game now and do a forty eight hour strike in the N H S, which to, to try and get the attention of the government because, like you said, they are just bearing the head in the sands. But what they've tried, what or what the proposing to introduce this new legislation the minimum service bill i don't know if you've heard of that
1: mm, I have, yeah. yeah worrying yeah. stuff it mm. is
2: so we, we're not going to be able to um call it if that went through we're not going to be able to call everybody out on strike because it, it's going to include emergency services teaching rail the rail network i mean basically the target and the unions that are on strike at the moment it's like a punishment so you know we, we we've got to have these minimum service levels now the, the ambulance workers and the um and, and the RCn already have those minimum service levels you know we've still got nurses in um administering critical care uh, and the ambulance workers if you've if people have been on the ambulance uh, workers picket lines you'll know that they're you know I think it's category one calls isn't it that they're still going to in those emergency calls so there are there are minimum service levels there already it's just the government's way of kind of punishing the trade union movement I think to uh to extend that to everybody
0: absolutely I mean this is just the the, the tip of the iceberg, the hyperinflation or Going towards hyperinflation at 10%. I think that you can't call it hyperinflation, hyperinflation at 10%, can you? But it feels like it certainly feels like it when your pay It's going down, doesn't it? But the the inflation that we've seen in, in, in the subsequent cost of living crisis is, to me, the tip of the iceberg because I've been a public sector worker for the past eight years. And I think the average public sector worker pay across the board has fell by 4.3% since 2010. But actually, when you really drill down into the figures, some sectors like police officers for example, their pay fell in real terms by 13% since 2010. Prison officers I think it's 10%, primary school teachers 12% secondary school teachers, about 10. And, and what that means in, in real terms is something like, say, for police police officers, they're about £5,700 in real terms, worse off. In, and that was in 2021, I think, actually, from the figures that I'd looked at than they were in 2010. And then you add 10% inflation onto it. And you've got to think and take into consideration as well that because of government austerity across the board, those jobs have become much, much harder. So it's a yeah. real kick in the teeth that you've had literally... thousands well tens of thousands over the course of 10 years taken from your taken from your pay packet in increasingly difficult conditions it's just completely unjustifiable and you can see why when you've got inflation running at 10 percent people are just saying enough is enough and we've got to do something about it so is it just about pay though Jules i mean you' you've got the inside scoop on this uh, there's other things being cited as well as pay that should be enough by itself from what i've just said there if you've had i don't know say please five thousand seven hundred Pounds a year worse off times whatever many years, tens of thousands of pounds. That should be enough, but actually, there's other things going on in terms of conditions and things like that, isn't there? So, what's the unions fighting for in that regard in terms of terms and conditions?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of underfunding uh, that's taken place since 2010. So it's not just people's pay that's gone down. It's the service that they're, you know, the the area they're working in as well, where they're not able to deliver, you know, the the level of service that they used to do. So the RMT, their strike's over pay, but it's also about safety issues on the railways as well, because due to, you know, lack of funding, they're trying to cut corners and red tape, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of issues around safety on the railways as well. The CWU, it's also about jobs. Since they've been on strike, they've announced job cuts as well, uh, and their terms and conditions as well that they're trying to you know change their contracts completely and make their terms and conditions a lot worse and accept this lower than inflation pay rise so it's ludicrous uh, but in in the public sector half of, of the strike is about the underfunding of the public sector so uh, in schools you know we, schools aren't funded properly we know that schools have been underfunded for a long time now uh, and and schools are having to make redundancies because they haven't got the funding to pay a all the the staff at the schools you know there's all sorts of things we've got teachers buying their own supplies for the kids you know all all sorts of stuff and and not getting a pay rise either a lot of it is about the underfunding if you think of the NHS all the underfunding and the issues in the NHS that the government are not getting to grips with you know and those those nurses I was speaking to nurses on the picket line in Leeds uh, and they were saying part of this is about our pay but part of it is about the future of the NHS because if we don't make people aware if we don't make the public aware of what actually happening, and and how this government are trying to run the NHS into the ground? Then, you know, it'll happen, and people won't even notice. So, underfunding in the Fire and Rescue Service, you've had thousands of firefighter jobs cut since 2010. You know, and they're working on real like tight service levels. Yeah, and we've had 20,000 police cuts since 2010 as well. So they can't deliver the service that that they want to deliver either. So a lot of it is is about you know this underfunding of our public services as well.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. Joseph. I mean, I spoke to one of my colleagues, I'm not going to mention what I do on the side of being a counsellor because I mention it every podcast and Tom always takes the Michael out of me but I'm a public sector worker that's all I'm gonna say and anyway so I'll speak what do you do James (laughs) I knew
1: you can you can tell me well if
0: well if you've ever listened to any of the podcasts and um I I mention it every time I think I mention it every council speech as well don't I Jules absolutely (laughs) yeah
2: Why,
0: why not anyway so I spoke to somebody one of my colleagues who'd worked in the same profession as I do for a long time, I think sort of thirty years. And I, and she's a good labour person, and, and said to me, James, I think things were bad in the eighties under Thatcher, and and we we were really upset with how our services were wound down and underfunded, and it cr- created all sorts of societal harms. But I've never known it as bad as this. This is as bad as it's ever been. We've all got some thought, interesting thoughts that we probably can't air on this podcast because we would have to swear about Margaret Thatcher. But (laughs) But things were better under Margaret Thatcher than they are now. And it's interesting, actually, just to go back to sort of pay, actually. You know, in 1980, there was a cap on public sector pay, Okay, Guess what that cap was? Because obviously we've had a public sector pay freeze of, it was 1%, wasn't it, for the first couple of years of the coalition government, and then it rose to sort of 2% pay cap. Guess guess what it was in 1980 under Margaret Thatcher? Go on, somebody have a guess.
2: What, 5%? i should
0: know this Fourteen percent for public services it was six percent for local government but for public services i don't know why that's distinguished but 14 and six percent right even margaret thatcher wasn't capping pay at one percent so it sort of gives you it gives you a bit of an idea about just how bad things have gone
1: i think also there's like a lot more diversity in the union movement or at least the kind of you know the way people look at unions now I think people typically personally as someone who wasn't born you know wasn't alive in the 80s I think I had like from childhood this idea of like you know the minor strike and that was strikes and that was unions Mm. and that was yeah that was and now it's like it's your friends it's your family it's people diverse people it's not just white men it's I think I saw that there's more women now in trade unions Mm -hmm. than men and it's it kind of seems like it's across all um sectors but also across across class almost as well and Definitely, and i feel yeah. like that that just shows doesn't it that's like the canary in the coal mine almost and mm. i think you made you made a really good point Jules that it's it's not just pay it's like the conditions that people are working in and i think it's like this this horrible cycle where people are put in really difficult working conditions and context and people leave because they don't want to be treated in like horrible exactly. ways. They don't want to be facing, feeling like they they aren't given what they need to deal with those things. They're working overtime. They're not being paid adequately. They leave those professions. And then Solder's the people brilliant. that are left have even more workload. And it's just like this horrible cycle yeah downward spiral yeah. exactly i'm really surprised at that figure that you just shared james About <laughs> even margaret thatcher did 14 <laughs> I, I, th- that. I think
0: she did i did think she did go to three and a half percent at one point but still we had one <laughs> still, we had at one you know, point that was, that just, you, you know anyway
2: well, that, that's a really good point about the about people leaving these professions because in in teaching we've got thousands of teachers leaving the profession and there's also an issue with um, people coming in to teach training so some of the subjects um, there, there are very few people signing up to train to teach certain subjects. Um, so if we think we've got a teacher shortage now, in ten years' time it's going to be even worse if things continue as they are, and lots of teachers leaving because they're just you know the the pressure that's put on them yeah. the under funding. Um, the long hours that they've been made to work. It's completely different in Europe. Teachers are trapped with, you know, a lot of respect in Europe. They're, re- yeah. they're, mm-hmm. they're educating the next generation. But over yeah. here, these successive Tory governments um, just te- teach, te- treat teachers like they're worthless. Yeah. And the totally. thing
1: is, it, it, it costs obviously costs more to train someone up than it does to keep someone in a profession. So the government is... In a way, like it's it's not a good investment strategy to just underpay staff and have a high turnover of staff in any profession. It it makes better sense to keep people in those professions for longer periods. But that's obviously not happening. And and it, it's interesting what you're saying about teaching. I heard earlier that there was it was just a anecdote of this guy who came over as ten Indian senior nurses and only two are still working in the nhs a few had gone over to australia to work for double the pay that they were getting in the uk and a, a number of the other ones had gone into private healthcare because it just wasn't paying the bills to stay in the nhs and he was commenting that the nhs and the system that it is at the moment is just like a cheap training center for yeah. for australia for yeah. private healthcare for other countries and yeah it it really kind of made me think yeah that that's true isn't it because it People will go elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think, look, the, the wider point that both of you have made, and I think we can all agree on, is that actually the fighting for the integrity of the professions and to keep sort of professions alive, if you like, so to make sure that there are nurses, to to be able to deliver the services that they're so passionate about delivering and, and being involved with. So, you know, nurses fighting for an NHS, teachers fighting for the integrity of the education system, firefighters fighting for for the safety of, of people in, in all our communities. I think the diversity point really ties into to this as well, because I think the government has always been able to play off the public sector or private sector or trade unions against non-unionized people or play into essentially try and divide and divide and conquer. But I think the diversity of the people that are striking at the moment, which you've already mentioned, I think makes that much more difficult for the government. And as you said, it's your next door neighbor who's a GP. I mean I think even the barristers went on strike as well, didn't they? So this sort Mm -hmm. of union bashing narrative utilized by the Tories for so long is becoming completely impotent it's a it's a narrative that's not useful for the Tories anymore do you think that that means that we'll have more success with these strikes because the the union bashing by the right-wing press hasn't been hasn't been successful has it is the point I'm guessing trying to make
2: no it, it you know the the, the Daily Mail and, and the Express are doing their usual job but um this time around it, it doesn't seem to be working there there's a lot of public support for the for the strikes. Um, yeah. Because they are, like you say, they are your next door neighbours, the people who teach your children, you know, they're they're emergency workers. Um, And and the the, the nurses have got an awful lot of support, despite, you know, despite the the right-wing press trying to uh, discredit them. Yeah, they've still got a huge amount of public support for for going on strike. Yeah.
1: And and I wonder if you've seen, like, in the NEU, that you've actually had an increase in membership or there's kind of any (laughs) result of these strikes that people are going, actually, yeah, it does suit me to be in a union I want to be part of this bigger movement to fight for my you know better pay better rights
2: and now you've mentioned it I'll come on to that yeah (laughs) we've had an increase from going live on Facebook on the Monday evening to at five o'clock to announce the result of the ballot. For I think over the next ten uh, weeks, ten days, um, we recu- recruited forty five thousand new members into the NEU. Now they're they're obviously teachers, uh, existing teachers, but um, either not a member of a union or a member of a different union that couldn't go out on strike because they didn't meet the threshold, the, the government's ridiculous fifty percent threshold turnout threshold, um, and and have joined the NEU so that they can go out on strike. So forty five thousand people uh, joining a union for the reason that they can take strike action is amazing, you know, that that they did that so they could go out the door and and join that strike action to send a message to the government.
0: So I wonder then if the public perception is changing because of the diversity of people striking around trade unions. I mean, we've seen they did a job on the trade unions, didn't they, the Tories back in the 80s. That was Thatcher's plan, wasn't it, to break the trade unions, the power of the trade unions. And they went on a publicity offensive to bastardise the trade unions as these... Awful organizations that are completely undemocratic, that are holding the country back to be able to slowly repeal or change the trade union law to to shackle the trade unions and stop them from being as effective as they had been at making sure that workers had a fair shout and a decent shake in the workplace, which is why we've we've seen the trade unions power wane over the years, and obviously that's had a huge impact on wage inequality and things like that. Jules, you'll know a lot more than me. What did they bring in back? in the 80s and carried on under the coalition government and just brought in another inhibitive trade union law as well haven't they or trying
2: yeah, to they're trying to yeah in in the 80s thatcher introduced um various pieces of legislation to try and curtail what the unions could do so you have to uh elect your general secretary and like executive council every five years uh which costs a lot of money and ties up the union in a lot of you know administrative work meaning he can't concentrate on exactly what we're talking about now. Uh, but one of the main things that she brought in was uh, all unions have to have a political fund now, and if you don't have a political fund, you can't campaign. So any campaigning we do, any marches, any you know rallies, all that kind of stuff that you see the unions doing, any campaigning work at all, has to be uh, has to be spent from money in the in the political fund. Even as far as getting trains down to London for a demo, that kind of thing. So each union had to ballot its own members to set up a political fund. It used to be that everyone opted it. You, you had to tick a box to opt out, basically. Now, under the Trade Union Act 2016, you've got to tick a box to opt in. So that again, the, the, the limit, the you know, li- limiting um, the amount of work that unions can do because people automatically opted into that, and now they're not. What, what Thatcher did in the 80s, she she passed a lot of uh, trade union anti-trade union laws. Um, I think it and was then,
0: six, wasn't it in total? Six. Yeah, and
2: then in and when when the the. Tories then got be, be, came into power in their own right. Then in twenty fifteen, without the Lib Dems, they then introduced the Trade Union uh, Act, uh, which curtailed what we could do even further uh, and meant that ridiculously, um, we're the only country in Europe that has to give two weeks' notice to the employer to be able to go on strike. So once you've uh, you, once you've announced your strike date, you've got to give the employer two weeks' notice for them to put other arrangements in place before you can actually go on strike, and it, it's it's ludicrous. Um, so the amount of legislation uh, that we've got uh curtailing what we can do, um, you know, I, I, I mean it's amazing that we've got all these strikes going on when you think yeah. about how much legislation is trying Yeah, to I mean
1: legislation, this. but it sounds like death by bureaucracy almost. It's like just trying yeah. to make yeah. everything super admin heavy. Um yeah. Yeah. And you've got to you've got to have uh now,
2: um you've got to have a 50 per, well, public sector unions, you've got to have a 50% turnout. Um in your strike ballot so you've got to get at least 50 percent of your members returning their ballot papers uh, and of that 50 percent you've got to have at least 40 percent voting in favor of strike action so you know y- you've got to hit those thresholds before you can even think about striking and giving that and, two weeks notice.
1: And, yeah and isn't it the case you can't have online ballots either
0: yeah, Which yeah it's like
1: it, they can yeah. have online ballots for their uh leadership. conservative <laughs> leadership election <Yeah>. but <laughs> I mean,
2: you can have what a hundred thousand, whatever member people who are members of the Conservative Party picking the next Prime Minister, uh, but for a trade uh, by by electronic ballot. But for for trade unions, um, you've got to have a paper ballot, so it all has to be sent out. Uh, which is why you, you you've probably seen that the unions have had to extend their uh, ballot period because obviously the CWU have been on strike. Yeah. So uh, we've had you know two months a ballot a ballot uh, period of like two months to make sure that we can get the ballot yeah. papers.
0: And, and get this back again. And that's even before you get into the things like restricting pickets, um, closed shops. Yeah. What else was they brought in? Solidarity strikes were outlawed. Yeah, you can't Um, do
2: that. Yeah, secondary picketing, so that's out the window. Like you said, we used to have closed shops um, where you joined work, you you went to work, you joined the union, and she outlawed all that as well. Yeah, a huge amount of legislation to try and uh, stop what we what we do as trade unions, and we've got the worst uh, anti union laws in the whole of Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think what all of these union laws miss is the fact that. Workers don't want to be out on strike like they want to be working. They want to do a good job. They want to be there giving this service. They they just want to be recognised, though, and paid fairly.
0: Exactly. And and, and I think people do realise and recognise now as well that that pay inequality is increased exponentially since all this restricted trade union legislation so i think since 1980 we've seen the top 1% of uk earners wages continually increase to the point now where 1% actually take in 14 nearly 15% of the of the country's wealth whereas poorest 14 million people in, in societies wealth has decreased by seven point five percent over that same same period. So we've seen the wealth inequality just widen and widen. And for me, I think that is because of the trade unions being whittled away. But we're fighting back and that's that's all to the good. Right, let's move on. Do we think the government is able to afford to pay public sector workers? It's a straight question. What do you think, Jules?
2: Yes. Am I allowed to expand?
0: <laughs> no, we'll keep it that. No, of course not. Okay. Sure. Yeah, no, no, please. No, I'm joking. Please do.
2: <laughs> they, yeah, they, they are. They they can find money to line their own pockets. And you know, throughout COVID, there was billions of pounds of the contracts given out to their own friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all that money just went to waste uh, because they didn't deliver on those contracts. You know, or it was it what what they delivered wasn't up to scratch. And now they're saying they can't afford to you know to to pay. Um, public sector workers who worked all through the pandemic you know a, a decent living wage uh, I just yeah I mean there's all we, we could go on all day we could do a podcast just on this couldn't we so yeah, I mean, we, yeah we absolutely could. they can yeah
0: I think it was Rishi Sunak in PMQs it was said it was something like 20 billion 30 billion pounds to cover the cost of a public sector pay increase above inflation but actually ONS and another reputable Organizations, economic organizations have shown it's actually about it's, the figures more like five billion. So when you contrast that to the 37 billion pounds that were wasted on track and trace, it's nothing, is it? To, to give people that they were on the front line during COVID. If it wasn't for them our entire society would have crumbled five billion pounds is not a lot just to, to reward them for for what they were able to do for us as a society throughout covid so absolutely yeah. i completely agree with you they can afford it and very much should do so jules let's let's have a little chat about your role i think listeners will be really interested to hear about what you do trade union officers I mean the job description it's you know it's not something that you hear about in public discourse that often what, what are you up to day to day then and, and how did you get involved with it actually in the first place
2: well my, talking of the 80s my dad was a shop steward in the 80s right. <laughs> through through the Thatcher eras and everything that was going on there so I kind of got brought up with it all you know uh, and, and strikes in the 80s and stuff and joined a union when I went to, to work I spent 15 years in banking and, and was a trade union member and activist that whole time and yeah long story short I went to work for a trade union then and from there I went to work for the TUC as a tutor so I was teaching union reps then uh with the knowledge I built up and now I'm back working uh for the EU so Day to day, we're dealing with a lot of a lot of casework for members. We, we're representing members, especially in in um, education. We've got all, we, you, you'll know about the the academies um, and the fact that uh, the the fragmentation of the education service now. Um, and we're finding that we get a lot more casework now. We've got these big academy chains. Oh um, really. Yeah, because they um, they seem to think that some of them think they can
1: do what they want. And that, you know, the law doesn't apply to them. What kind of things are you find are you finding? Is there um, like a trend in these kind of cases?
2: we find a lot of bullying there's a lot of bullying and right. um pressure put on teachers um so we we do get a lot of a lot of bullying cases a lot of petty um sickness issues as well whereas when when it was you know under local authority control there was this kind of understanding now it, it seems that you've they have a policy for everything and they're using those policies to beat members with you know <laughs> um rather than kind of applying common sense to some issues if that makes sense and not not allowing um, staff to take things like their their ppa time planning preparation time um which is you know sort of 10 percent of your teaching load each week that keeps getting removed from them having to work through lunch breaks and another break and never getting chance to you know to 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 eat their lunch some days and and you know some of them say i've not even had a chance to run to the loo um because i've, I've been in class all day then i'm a uh, class all morning i'm expected wow. to work through my lunch i'm then expected to go back into class in the afternoon there's all sorts of 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 terms and conditions but it's just and i'm not saying it's all academies but in some academies that they just don't seem to think apply to them so uh, as a trade union then, as trading officials we get involved in in a lot of those issues then uh in representing members and and unnecessary disciplinaries as well um and so we we get some really ridiculous disciplinaries as well. But of course, every member's entitled to representation, and we have to go in then and deal with those. So I think some of it is to try and just tie the union up in in this kind of stuff, so we can't get onto the campaigning issues that we want to organise around, like pay for now, for example.
1: So we're talking a lot about inflation, and I think one of the lines that the Tories have used is that. Pay rises will make inflation worse, and I was just wondering like what your thoughts are on that
2: yeah there's this this myth isn't it that in the in the eight in the seventies huge pay rises were being handed out, and it was it was that so that then made inflation increase further and we we're in a cycle at the moment, I think they're using that as a myth right now because at the moment we've got like nurses teachers firefighters all using food banks, so to actually give that that cost of living rise to people is just meeting their day you know their, their their outgoings it's not people aren't asking for these pay rises to then go you know uh splash it on anything <laughs> you know um uh, and and we are in this cycle of you know higher pay rises higher inflation goes up and up and up um
1: well that's yeah you're exactly right it just seems like pay rises would just mean that people can actually pay for the prices of yeah. things that they are at the moment and, yeah. and a lot of those prices aren't set in the uk they're because of the war in Ukraine and other, you know, international factors, you know, and paying people less in this country isn't going to make those prices come down.
0: No, you're absolutely right. The wage price spiral that, that's always cited by the Tories, one, they always turn a blind eye to the fact that executive pay keeps going up and up. So it's it's fine for all their friends in the city and all their friends that are on the exec boards of various FTSE companies to get huge pay increases and bonuses. That's absolutely fine and doesn't contribute to the wage price spiral. But of course, ordinary workers who have seen their gas and, and utilities bills uh, increase exponentially of course those they're going to go up regardless and they continue to go up nobody seems to care that actually people are struggling if you give people a pay rise they're going to use that to pay for for things that are going up anyway and as you've already yeah. said they're set by international markets so it's a complete fallacy the wage price spiral in, in this context how dare they talk about a wage price spiral when companies like utilities companies are making billions of pounds worth of profit does that not add to inflation they could cut their profits and reduce the cost of utilities and food and that would that would reduce inflation overnight but of course they're not going to do that so the hypocrisy is, is actually sickening in this and, and and you're absolutely right it's complete fallacy if
2: you look at inflation and look at the interest rate issues and um, Liz Truss was in 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 Downing Street for what 40 days was it <laughs> and you know a lot of this a lot of this the most recent stuff is to do with that 40 days yeah actually, completely crashed the economy yeah um the government had to step in uh, the bank of england had to step in um you know the, the the bank of england started putting uh interest rates up so now people's mortgages are going up you know so a lot of it is of their own making you know <laughs> they, they need to get yeah. a, a handle on this it's yeah you know, it, it's not a factor we pay people more than inflation will go up A lot of this has come from their own people, you know, their
0: own. And that's before we even get onto Brexit. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. That's
1: another issue. It's the perfect storm, isn't it? It, it (laughs) Brexit. Covid, war in Ukraine, and list trust. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect yeah. storm of cost of living crisis. but of
0: course yeah. it's not that the reason for inflation is all the workers that are that need de- a decent de- 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 pay increase, you know it's the postie on twenty five k that you know wants a pay rise to twenty six thousand pounds so that he can afford his utility bills, you know yeah, it's... not the
1: shareholders that are you know seeing a massive rise in their profits yeah
0: exactly yeah. right yeah. okay guys I think that was fantastic Jules there was so much more I wanted to ask you there really was and <laughs> I, I, you're gonna have to come back on the podcast thank you both for coming on today Josie how was your first podcast did you enjoy it
1: oh no it's horrible never <laughs> coming back <laughs> no it was great thank you <laughs> and it was Jules. lovely to meet you Jules yeah. you too you too
2: yeah yeah it's great to um yeah to meet other open labor people from yeah from parts of the country yeah Yeah.
0: there we go and on the open labour note we shall end at that thank you both very much goodbye
2: Cheers, cheers